1: Hi there, I'm Jason Gotts, and you're listening to Think Again, a Big Think podcast. Since the early days of the public internet, Big Think has curated more than 10,000 surprising, brain-bending, significant ideas, and shared them through video, text, and social media. The Think Again podcast remixes this formula, surprising me and my guests, with conversation topics we didn't necessarily come here prepared to discuss. Today, I'm very, very excited to be here with Tim Ferriss. Above all else, Tim's focused on learning how to learn and then applying those lessons to everyday life, aiming at increased productivity, efficiency, and success, however you define and measure that. His books, The 4-Hour Workweek, The 4-Hour Body, and The 4-Hour Chef, shared his learning experiments in the culinary, physical, and business realms. And his latest book, The Tools of Titans, Distills lessons learned from guests like Maria Popova, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Rick Rubin in conversation on his podcast, The Tim Ferriss Show. Welcome to Think Again, Tim. Thanks for having me. So, I mean, I wanted to start by nerding out a little bit on podcasting. How long have you been doing your show for? I want to say just over two years, maybe two and a half years ok. and uh, yeah, I've been this one's been on for about a year and a half. And what's that been like for
2: you? Like, how have you, you know, that's that's been a new medium for you, right? It's brand new. brand new. And it didn't start off as any type of business plan or anything. It was a break between big books. right? For our chef was just a beast to put together, a very complex book. It's an awesome <laughs> book, and I have it, and it is a beast. It's enormous. It's a big, yeah. big book. and yeah. uh, just just very complicated. Unlike, some of my other books was four color, a lot of photography, illustrations, many of which I did myself. I don't know why I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> and I was exhausted. So I wanted to take a break from book writing and had enjoyed being on podcasts. I'd been on All a right. few very long form podcasts right. like Joe Rogan, Mark Marin, and Nerdist, for instance, come to mind just because they're really long, like two to three hours. Right. And I had a blast. I was able to be myself. I'm from Long Island. If I dropped an F bomb, I was okay. <laughs> there were all these creative freedoms that I didn't have in, say, a two-minute morning show clip, which has, certainly has its value, but it doesn't didn't provide me the ability to limber up and go deep with some of these subjects. So I asked myself, what would it be like if I were on the other side? Right. And I also realized that perhaps even if the podcast failed, if I quit after, say, six episodes, and I committed to doing six as a test. Okay. I would get better at asking questions. I would get better at eliminating some of my verbal tics, and that would help me with any type of research that I wanted to do later, any type of real project. So that, in and of itself, was a way to succeed even if I failed, to sort of use uh, some of Scott Adams' systems thinking, the creator of Dilbert, which is how he sets a lot of his his goals, per se. Uh That's how it all started. And I think that, first and foremost, I've made a study of questions, and I've really enjoyed that trying to delineate between a bad, a good, and a great question. And I think very smart people are are good at getting from bad question to good question, but the difference between a good question and a great question can can sometimes be very subtle, just a few words changed. For instance, I now ask, what is the book you've gifted most to other people versus what is your favorite book? So that type of study has been fun for me. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts, and
1: one thing that surprised me and and like pleasantly surprised me was how long it was, you know, to begin with. Because when I think of you and I think of your work, right? (laughs) Long. Well, no, I think (laughs) I think of you as like I think (laughs) of you as extremely like focused on sort of a utilitarian systematizing of things, like Mm -hmm. trying to look at how things are done. Extrapolate the lesson and apply it, you know, yep. kind of
2: thing. Yeah,
1: you know, it's yeah. it, 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 no, <laughs> like I, a risky thing in a way <laughs> or something. Yeah, you
2: know? it's it it is, I think, counterintuitive, <laughs> uh, but I think that the importance of chance and the critical nature of slack is undervalued in a cult of efficiency. Okay, so This I, gets to where I want yeah, to go this super, Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. super important. So right. I'm thought of as an efficiency guy because efficiency is a word that's used more often in, at least in the U.S., than effectiveness. Right. But I'm an effectiveness guy. So effectiveness is are you doing the right things in simple terms. Efficiency is are you doing things well. But doing something well doesn't make it important. Right. So in my case, if I'm interviewing someone who's been interviewed a lot or someone who just has a lot of stuff that they are involved with or have gone through, the first hour sometimes will be warming up. And if they are very highly exposed, meaning a celebrity who's been interviewed a lot, they're probably gonna have at least an hour of stock material. Mm -hmm. And I find that length helps, I find that booze sometimes helps, (laughs) which is occasionally uh, a third person on my podcast. What is the most that you've you guys have allowed yourselves to drink on one well, of these episodes. Uh, you
1: know, or is it, that a, or is that a proprietary secret? No, it's <laughs> yeah, that's my
2: it's like the KFC recipe of my podcast. No, it um, I will tell you that much like writing, after two glasses, you think you're getting better and, and you are not getting better. Right. So if you listen to uh, maybe my first five podcasts, I was really nervous. Right. And it seems silly because I was interviewing mostly my friends, but I was nervous. So my first ever episode, I got just wasted it was terrible right and uh, so if if people want to laugh they can can listen to my first episode with kevin rose and i remember listening to the audio the next day and i didn't listen i didn't listen to the whole thing but i was just spot checking and at about maybe minute 45 i said you know kevin i want to be cognizant and respectful of your time i was really worried about his time which makes no (laughs) which makes no sense because we're sitting there drinking wine at night and then I, I skipped forward and I just happened to find the exact same phrase like an hour later, and it was, well, in, I really want to be cognizant of your. It was so slurred, it was terrible. So well, what I, mean- I what I figured out is that with the length of my podcast, right you can't start off sprinting with alcohol. So sake is also a pretty good choice because you think of it as high alcohol, so you get like a placebo goofiness effect, gotcha. but it's actually not that high in alcohol content. Interesting. So, okay. so uh, for just <laughs> to enable people with alcohol, there you have it. The well, secret to my podcasting success.
1: Well, but something you said before gets in a direction that I wanted to get to, which is that I think of life as a kind of negotiation between control and messiness, Mm -hmm. or productivity and discovery. So how do you, at this point, kind of balance that in your life? You said that the podcast was a way of kind of allowing yourself a little more in the discovery
2: end of things. For sure, I, I think that at this point, I have trained myself to be very good at achievement, at setting goals and locking my crosshairs on them, right, and checking off the check boxes. Optimization for me, from an efficiency standpoint, given my say like 10 primary activities, whatever those might be, okay. is an incremental gain. It's an incremental gain and an incremental gain. <laughs> Whereas for me to experience breakthroughs, mm-hmm. both in quality of life and in performance across many different spheres, I feel like I have to A, focus on the other half of the yin yang diagram, <laughs> right. which is appreciation and gratitude. I, I read once, and I don't know who the original author of this quote is. I think it might have actually been Lao Tzu, but mm. that depression is a focus on the past and anxiety is a focus on the future. Mm. People who are good at goal achievement right. are almost by definition largely future focused. Sure. And not surprisingly, at least in my personal experience, <laughs> that tends to produce a lot of anxiety. The gratitude, which I think is a more helpful but sounds loosey-goosey woo-woo way to put it, on the appreciation side, is very important because if nothing, if you can't enjoy what you have, nothing you get will ever make you happy. Which means that being the best at achieving is just a Faustian bargain. It's like, great, you've achieved X, but you're going to take two seconds to be like, wow, I achieved X, and then you're going to obsess on the next right Y. And you will never reach nirvana. You will never reach the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, because you will always be looking for the next phase. Then if we look at just multiplying results instead of incremental gains, the, uh, I think it was Picasso, I just recently read this, who said, in art I don't seek, I find. Right. So seeking, I think, is goal orientation. Finding is more that that exploration Mm. process. Mm. So I like to expose myself to Novel inputs or quite frankly to empty space to slack uh, Where I might have an activity. I might be doing something physical. I might be going for a long hike I might be going for a long swim. I might be doing acro yoga. I might be doing jiu-jitsu. Who knows right, but providing a slack in my mental schedule right for Discovering so discovering to me and exploring are two different things So if you have slack hmm. you can discover connections that you didn't put together before, or right. observations you didn't put together before. It's, it's largely a passive or subconscious process. Exploring is a conscious process, but you can do that in novel ways. Sure. So I might ask absurd questions to do that, which is how a lot of people in Tools of Titans function. I just noticed this. The more and more I looked at, not people who are great at what they do, but the top 1%. Right. The more I looked at the top 1%, the more I saw absurd, crazy questions. So Peter Thiel asking, if you ha- why can't you accomplish your 10-year plan in the next six months? Mm. Or Peter Diamandis, chairman of the XPRIZE, saying, asking potential portfolio company founders, uh, if you had to 10X the economics of your business in the next six months, how would you do it? And if they say it's not possible, he says, I do not accept that answer. Try again. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, the, okay. Because these questions they shatter the assumptions or framework or set of rules you've been playing by. Sure, but those are still,
1: I mean, those questions you cited are still sort of goal-oriented questions. No, 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 they are. So so,
2: so there's the appreciation piece, which has, they have their own processes, right? right? They have the meditation, they have physical components, they have biochemical components, right? Right. It could be five milligrams of lithium orotate a day might make a big difference in your life. I mean, this is something, that New York Times has written about, there's a lot of research that, that I talk about with Dr. Peter Atia, but there are many components to the appreciation. Uh, but if I'm then trying to go on the achievement side right. from incremental to maybe not exponential, but gotcha. uh, illogra- gotcha. logarithmic or at least not nonlinear, then I'm going to be asking these
1: absurd questions. So Sorry. what I'm thinking while I'm listening to you, you know, about because I'm thinking about the exploration piece, the active exploration piece, and I'm thinking my reference is writing creative writing Mm -hmm. okay so i write stories and such and if i'm sitting down to write a story that is an active exploration in the sense that well and also there are different types of fiction writers right some know in advance what the whole thing is going to be others don't if i'm sitting down to write a story my goal what i'm what i'm excited about is the I know that something will emerge, and I don't know what it will be. Sure. So that yeah. is an active exploration totally. in search of something, but I don't know what the goal is. And so I'm trying to think about
2: how that fits into sort of the, the way that you're defining exploration. Uh, it, here. It, yeah. to- it totally ap- uh, applies. And I remember, I, I'm not a fiction writer, but I've heard, so my books are very different, right? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're architected in advance. But I, I remember hearing, I think it was actually in a book called Bird by Bird, Anne Lamott, and she mentioned a quote from someone else, I'm blanking on the name, which was writing a novel is like driving a car at night. Mm-hmm. Your headlights only show you mm-hmm. the 10 or 20 feet in front of you, but you can get to your destination hundreds of thousands of miles away. Right. The exploration process is, is different from goal-focused because you don't have an end goal. Right. In the case of the podcast, I didn't have an end goal. I, it, was, it was a for the hell of it project on some level that had benefits. Right. And that I think for me is proactive exploration, which is, to mention Scott Adams again, thinking about how you can win even if a project fails. How can you win long term? And the way mm-hmm. that you win long term is by developing skills and relationships that persist. Gotcha. And uh, so that is how I think of exploration is trying things for the hell of it. And one way that's manifested, I interviewed uh, Sean White, who's got the, I think he still has the record for the most X-game medals. snowboarder, skateboarder, multiple gold medals in the Olympics. He mentioned something to me that I thought was just genius. He mentioned it in passing and I was like, oh my God, that's so smart. For every really serious goal that he has, like winning a gold medal, which is extremely stress inducing and pressurized, he has an absurd goal. So at all times he has two goals. He mm-hmm. has one serious one and one absurd one. Hmm. So one absurd one might be, I wanna be on the cover of a magazine in American flag pants, which was one of his. Okay. So he, he tried to figure out and finagle a way to do that and he ended up getting the gold medal but also being on the cover of Rolling Stone and American flag pants. Interesting. And I've started adopting that and it's genius in two respects at least. One is it's a pressure release valve. It allows you to have some fun and frivolity, which I also think is really undervalued, right. if you want to be maximally effective and efficient, you don't get rid of all the frivolous stuff. That's actually a mistake. Otherwise, being mean, serious, it would be such a grind. Well, I mean, your life becomes a total, like... Yeah, yeah, if you're serious all the time, you're, you're, have, gonna, you're gonna wear out before yeah. you get the truly serious stuff done. Right. So that's a piece of it. The other piece is that sometimes the absurd goals lead you in directions that transfer right over to your so-called serious, important stuff. Right. And, uh, in ways that you could not have necessarily in ways that you imagined never or have predicted. yeah. Never have predicted. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I'll, I mean, I'll give you a concrete example. The podcast. All right, the podcast for me right now is, it probably generates twice as much as all of my books combined per year. Wow. I started by getting embarrassingly drunk, interviewing, <laughs> a, interviewing a friend, <clears throat> asking him the worst questions imaginable. If you were a breakfast cereal, what kind of breakfast cereal would you be? And he goes, oh God, it's gonna be one of those interviews. And I was like, oh geez, another glass of wine. And, uh, and giving yourself an out. Six episodes I and you're ga- done if it doesn't work. I right? gave myself an out, and here's, here's the <laughs> accidental beauty of it. Because I didn't have any performance, I didn't feel any real performance pressure. Right. I didn't have a goal. I was 100% myself. Yeah, And that, I think, ended up being the primary ingredient in the podcast success.
1: I find the show really interesting precisely because of that, A, you being yourself, B, the kind of tension between your tendency towards systematization and then the kind of expansiveness of the show and the, and the way that bumps up against your interesting guests. Um, but I want to I wanna segue into one other far out question before we get to the, yeah. the surprise clips. Death. I wanted to ask you about death. Where are you Let's at? Do it. Yeah. Where are you at with death at this point? Like how, in terms of your kind of conceiving of it, and how do you push it off to the side? Is it something that you know is close to you in in thinking about your own achievement in
2: life? I think about death all the time. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, that might be. I've read uh, a lot of Stoic philosophy, and uh, it's prob- true, yeah. probably my favorite operating system for doing well in high stress environments and i also have spent a lot of time in japan and was an exchange student there at 15 my first real time outside of the united states where i was exposed to a lot of zen buddhist philosophies among others or precepts and they think a whole lot about death it turns out and i'm sure most philosophers monks and theologians do the same but americans are <laughs> weird about it americans are weird about it a lot of people a lot of people are weird about <laughs> yeah, it yeah. and i constantly think about death and rehearse death in a way, uh, and set, for instance, memento mori, which are reminders Mm. of death, so that I continually ask myself, if I am ready to die, Mm. and would I be content with what I have done and what I'm doing if I were to die? I do this every time a plane takes off. Uh, I am not, at this point, fearful of death. Uh, I think I've trained myself, conditioned myself through a lot of reading and a lot of Meditating and writing on this to be comfortable with the uncertainty of what happens after right? That's part one part two is Maybe the counterbalance which is I am fearful might not be the right word worried with the potential descent towards death. Oh so sure, sickness and sickness decline. Sickness and cognitive dec- decline specifically. I have Alzheimer's I and have Parkinson's. Flowers Flowers for Algernon was like yeah. the
1: scariest book I ever read. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. And I have
2: Alzheimer's and Parkinson's on both sides of my family. Uh-huh. So I am making taking many different steps to try to mitigate cognitive decline and I mean in in Tools of Titans in the book. One of the longest chapters is about fasting and ketosis with Dominic D'Agostino, right. talking about how you might be able to use synthetic ketones as a supplement even to mitigate the risk of cancer growth, but also improve cognitive function and potentially delay the onset of cognitive decline. And you're, uh, willing,
1: to, you're willing to take those experiments even before the... The general, the council of
2: doctors of the universe have all. You uh, know, I am, and the fact that, that yeah. I, I, am, and the fact of the matter is, uh, I, I'm always looking at the downside scenario. So if right. I can cap the downside, and if I understand the downside uh then or manage it in You'll the very worst the case scenario yeah. then i'm willing to take it because i don't view it as a risk right. there's very rarely a consensus on anything important uh, <laughs> and uh, if there is it takes a very long time to get there so i will frequently like dominic is a very well-respected published researcher he's right. co-author or primary author on many different papers related to metabolism For those reasons, I might look at, say, um, metformin and rapamycin as very interesting pharmaceutical interventions for longevity, but primarily my focus is on delaying, preventing, and/or reversing cognitive decline.
1: We'll have to check in uh, 40 years from now. (laughs) Let's go. See if I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so shall we get to the surprise videos? All right, let's see what we got. Okay, this is Tim Wu, he's a professor at Columbia Law School. And, uh, and the title of the video is, Is Your Life Really Yours? How the Attention Merchants Got Inside Our Heads.
2: So oh, okay. let's see what we got. Let's check it out. All right.
3: You know, I think as a culture, we've become obsessed with free stuff almost, uh, frankly, quite to our detriment. You know, it's almost impossible for many people to consider using anything on the web that isn't free. Somehow it's like an outrage if you have to pay for it. And there's been a cost to that. I think that when many people signed up for you know Facebook in the early days it just seemed fun and free. There was very few advertising but slowly, or very little advertising, but slowly we've come to understand that you're paying in very different ways. You're paying with your data which you hand over. You're paying with your attention. And ultimately there's several ways in which we're paying. First of all we're granting unprecedented levels of access to ourselves, to our portal of judgment, uh, which ultimately has commercial influence or can influence our life in other ways. So we may, without realizing it, end up living lives that are a little different than we might have wanted to, buying more things than we expected to, voting for people we might not have thought we would. Uh, We make ourselves open to influence, let's just put it that way. And the other cost is that ad supported mediums have a constant need to deliver a receptive audience. And since we are the audience, we are increasingly programmed to be more receptive, which means open to distraction, constantly clicking and looking. There's an effect uh, that I call the casino effect, which I think comes to describe our lives on the web, where you sit down to write an email and then suddenly you notice four hours have gone by, you're not quite sure what happened you do know you clicked on a bunch of stuff and you went here and you went there. And I think that is kind of becoming our lives and that's a very attractive mental state for advertisers because you're constantly clicking, constantly refreshing, constantly seeing new stuff. Whether it's good for us is an entirely different question.
2: Well, I would say that I agree with Tim, first and foremost, because he has a great name. (laughs) Uh, And uh, secondly, because whether it's taking supplements or drugs or being on the internet excessively there's no biological free lunch and biological applies to the brain as well right uh, in many different many different ways that we won't delve into right now cuz it could, could be an hour in and in myself <laughs> or more but the piece that i think i could comment most directly on is the prescription for addressing this distraction right. economy and My approach has been to cultivate selective ignorance with a low-information diet. And there are a number of ways that I do that. For instance, make your phone less interesting (laughs) to you visually. And this can be done very simply by changing your screen to grayscale. I'm not the first person to observe this and in fact I was introduced to it by a comedian named Whitney Cummings who did it for herself, she's very successful. But it will decrease the amount of time that you spend on your, huh. on your mobile device just by changing your screen to grayscale. Other things you can do, I do not have any mail client installed on my phone. I do not get notifications of email on my phone, uh. ever. I have to go to a web browser, <laughs> go to, in this case, you know, Gmail, right. the site, not the application. And I, I make it deliberately inconvenient to check that in any I am like way. I do not enable push notifications for really any apps except for I do not get any social notifications whatsoever. Uh, Have
1: you? I, so you, you know, some of this stuff is in, um, or not this specifically, but this kind of thing in is, in f- four-hour week. Correct. Have you? Have you been able to be consistent over time about that Definitely. Like, yeah so it's not crept back in into your life and Oh day or well, well things. like I mean you've not like found yourself suddenly obsessed with Facebook or whatever
2: uh no no not Facebook and it, I, I'd be lying if I said things don't creep in I mean it's it's kind of like the never uh, <laughs> in uh, the never-ending story right you know the nothing that's it the nothing that's just like the cloud that sweeps over the right. landscape it's like the nothing the nothing it's like of course I have times when a friend will send me like, dude, check out this video, and then three hours later I'm like, why am I watching some guy skipping stones <laughs> over a frozen pond on YouTube? Like, how right. did I get here? Right. Of course that happens, but I have parameters and systems in place to minimize it. Uh, I also think that in general, the news s- serves no utilitarian function whatsoever. And mm. my, my position is, if it's not directly affecting you, or actually better still, if you're not going to take an action as a result of the news or if it's not going to impact your near-term or intermediate-term decisions okay ignore it it doesn't it is irrelevant well how do you know what
1: you might take an action on if you don't know what the thing is like what what yep. if you know Donald Trump decides to suddenly, you know, put people in jail for burning flags or whatever. Like, yeah, I'll, you, I'll you hear. Might it. Want I'll hear about it. Yeah, right. I'll okay. hear about
2: it. Yeah, I, and uh, there are different ways to go about doing that. Uh, I was misquoted. If you want to talk about terrible misquotes, <laughs> okay. At one point, as saying I got most of my news from asking waiters what was going on in the world. This is not accurate. I do not recommend that.
1: <laughs> for the record, folks, but it like folks. chased me for
2: chased me for years. <laughs> God. Uh, but the what I will do is perhaps use a service like Nuzzle, N-U-Z-Z-E-L, which provides a short digest each day or week of the stories that are being shared most by the people I follow on gotcha. Twitter. Are you an investor in Nuzzle, Tim? No, I'm okay. not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. No, no, there. I'm not an investor in Nuzzle. But I used to be an investor in, in Twitter a long time ago, pre, pre-IPO. pre But, <laughs> Got um, but Got I'm you. not good at public <laughs> market stuff. But no, Nuzzle, I'm not an investor in Nuzzle. Fair. Good, fair question. Just asking. Uh, but that is a great way for me to take the constant flood of uh-huh. tweets and convert it into something I can digest in 10 minutes and make sense of. Uh, and... I will block time, let's just say, from when I wake up to after lunch, so Mm -hmm. up to lunch, let's say, for creative, proactive work, whatever that might be. Deep work, in other words, that cannot be reactive to the bullets flying at me, which are text messages and so on, which is why I also have my phone on airplane mode. I set it to airplane mode when I go to sleep, and Mm -hmm. I wake up, there's no flood of messages, I don't see that, I don't react to it, my cortisol doesn't rise because of it. And I only turn on my phone when I'm ready to engage. It's interesting. And and look, most people out there, you're not the President of the United States. Uh, And (laughs) as much as you might wish you were at this point in time, you're not the President of the United States. If people have to wait three hours for you to get back to them, especially if you're running your own show, The world's not going to end and it's easy to think that it will but generally speaking the world's not going to (laughs) end
1: yeah i think that's right i mean people but you know i I, i've been thinking a lot about facebook in particular because i have fallen into this trap where it's on my phone and i was thinking today that the the feeling of sort of scrolling through facebook and discovering new things and you know wow oh i didn't know that blah 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 it's akin in a way, in a sort of seductive way to the feeling of Writing a story, there is that same sense of like, wow, I'm in this unknown space where I don't know what's going to happen. And now, let's put aside the fact that you pretty much do know what's going to happen. You know, nothing yeah. really unexpected ever happens there. But um, it's seductive in that way, and you can spend hours and hours feeling like, wow, I'm wandering in this wonderland. When in fact, like, what has happened? You know, nothing. Nothing. You know? yeah. Nothing.
2: And I think the question to ask is, what action have I taken, or am I going to take? Right. Uh, so I've, I've really right. tried very deliberately right. to train myself. And uh, there are other ways that I do that. For instance, I might use an app, which I was introduced to by Neil Strauss, who's eight-time New York Times best-selling author, and I interviewed him for his creative process uh, for Tools of Titans. He uses an app called Freedom, and it blocks you from accessing the internet on laptop or mobile for a set period of time. You cannot access the internet. And he uses that whenever he's on any type of deadline or trying to get real deep work done. Do you want to be a creator, principally, or do you want to be a consumer, principally? And there's no right answer. Right. But the more you are one, the less you are another. I'm going to go against that. Okay, let's hear it. For writers, like, yeah. I think reading a lot is a good thing. Okay. Yeah, I think there are different trains of thought. I would say I don't think they're mutually ex- exclusive. Okay. So I, I read a lot. But I don't read what I'm trying to produce. Right. And I don't read in a way that will... Detract from writing. I, I also tend not to read a lot when I am writing over a deadline period because I will end up Subconsciously mimicking the voice and style of what of the authors. I right, read. right you gotta be which careful is a big problem Sure, sure, um, sure But I mean there's a book out there somewhere called working on my novel Which is a collection of social media posts from people who are supposedly on book deadlines <laughs> uh, And yeah, uh, it's it's just so easy to fool yourself into thinking you're doing something productive when in fact you're just doing something busy. And it is a form of procrastination. Social media is That's right. It is a socially rewarding means of procrastinating for the most part. So I yep. will use something like freedom, I might use something like rescue time to show me where I'm spending my time. Because mm-hmm. you might think like, oh, I don't have a problem. It's like an alcoholic who's like, no, no, right. no, I'm not an alcoholic. And then you look at your rescue time report card and you go, what? I spent four and a half hours That's on right. Facebook yesterday during work hours? For me, it's, it's all about cultivating less reactivity. And my life more and more is about not being reactive. And uh, that makes a lot I do spend time on the internet. I enjoy bullshitting on Twitter as much as the next person or Facebook. But I set aside time to do it. And then it's like, okay, I'm in a car on the way from the airport to a hotel. I have 15 minutes, great. I will jump on the internet and engage in intellectual masturbation because it feels great. And then I'll get it out of my system. But no, I absolutely will cripple notifications. There's actually an extension you can get, I think it's for a number of browsers called the Facebook Newsfeed Eradicator, which mm. will also get rid of your newsfeed. Okay. Uh, all right. For a set period of time, so that's that's another one that you can potentially use for that. But uh, ultimately, the ability to single task, right, the ability to do one thing for an extended period of time, is becoming a superpower. But first,
1: folks, you got to admit that you got a problem.
2: Yeah. <laughs> or just admit that, that modern humanity has a problem that we you, all and, have, a and, and you are not exempt. Right. Right.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's see what the next one is. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Cool. So this is Simon Sinek, the video is called, Are You a Visionary or a Follower? Here's how to
0: step up. I don't know when it happened in history, but we've become obsessed with the concept of having a vision right? And there's this overwhelming pressure on entrepreneurs or any of us for that matter that we all have to have a vision. People even ask us, so what's your vision? And at the end of the day, we're not all visionaries. We don't all have big change the world kind of visions. And even if we have some sense of it, very few of us are really capable or able of articulating that vision in words so clearly that others could imagine that same world that we imagine. Sometimes it's just a feeling. And so I think it puts an unfair stress and an unfair burden on all of us that we have to have a vision. I don't know. I just want to go to work and be happy and feel like my life and my work is valuable. Do do I need more than that? But I do believe we have to find a vision. We have to have direction. We have to have a North Star. We have to know where we're going. It doesn't have to be the direction we set. It can be the direction that somebody else set. So it's very important for us to find a leader or find a company or find a vision in whom we believe so that our work is contributing to building that. So, you know, in the civil rights era, some may not have been able to clearly articulate the vision that they imagined, but Martin Luther King did. And so for the rest of us, we said, I'm following him. And that's the point. We should all find a vision that we believe in. We should find common direction. And then that vision can become ours, but we don't have to invent it.
1: I'm thinking that this idea of vision is very connected to the idea of, like, heroes, you know, the heroes that we have as kids. And I'm wondering, I think it might be an interesting line to ask uh, what, like, who your heroes were when you were, like, forming your identity as a young person, when you were 16. Like, when you were, you know, not necessarily the amazing people that you've interviewed for your podcast, but, like, when you were, you know, young Tim
2: trying to figure out who you were going to be in the world, who, sure. who were your first heroes? A Dan Gable. Dan Gable, I was a wrestler. Dan Gable won a gold medal. Well, he lost one match in his entire high school and college career and was so angry at his one loss or about his one loss that he went on to win the gold medal at the Munich Olympics without surrendering a single point and then went on to become arguably the best or certainly one of the top five uh, college coaches or sports coaches of the last 100 years with the Iowa Hawkeyes. And just produced a record that is is unbelievable to to ponder. It's it's just uh, mythical, and it's in its uh, in its in its proportion. So Dan Gable uh, and his focus on aggressiveness, okay, uh, as well as technique, but aggressiveness as an underlying value. And this that I would actually that's interesting. So I would actually just to come back to Simon. So I I, I like Simon a lot. I think he has uh, some some brilliant observations uh, start with why that entire premise I think is is very 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 helpful I would start with why but just to come back to the vision so our words our words reflect our thinking and thinking benefits from specificity and clear definitions I wouldn't use vision personally I think there are a lot of ways to skin this cat but it's very easy to veer from vision into mission statements into kinda nebulous parodies like The Office right, right. with these sort of like, hang in there, kiddo, with the kitten hanging from the tree branch and like dentist office motivational posters. It's yeah, yeah. really yeah. easy to veer in that direction. Make everybody
1: now, learn more all the time. Right, I mean, act with whatever. integrity
2: yeah. to revolutionize right. <laughs> the mobile payments world, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> On a daily, weekly, quarterly <laughs> basis, what does that mean for me right. as someone who has to execute? Now, there are people with very clear visions, like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, but I, I would say there might be a better word for that. So the way that I have thought about this, I don't have a 10-year plan. I don't have a 20-year plan. I do have, however, consistent values. Right. And I have typically six to 12-month projects that I want to hit a home run with, to have a certain impact, and I assume, and this has been true so far, that if you do a really good job with one thing, a really good job, that doors will open that you didn't even know existed. Gotcha. So if you make a 10-year plan, generally, you're, to have a reliable, long, long-term plan, you're going to, by definition, have to aim below your capabilities to have it be reliable. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
2: So, however, the, the constants are values, right? And that can just be your, your moral code. Right? What are the things you will do or not do? What are the things you'll stand up for? What are the things you'll tolerate? Right. And you can find a company that represents those. You can create a company culture that values those. Right. And, ref- and the rules reward, and this is important, what does that mean? The rewards and punishments are aligned with those values. Right. If not, what does it mean? No it means one, nothing. No one will it's take it seriously. It's, yeah, lip, yeah. it's lip service. Right. And uh, the punishment could be shame, by the way. It doesn't have to be a Mm -hmm. a financial or HR department piece. It could be social pressure. And then once you have decided on your values, your moral code, the things that you'll stand up for, the things that you'll defend and fight for, the things you'll tolerate versus not tolerate, then uh, with your goal, whatever that might be, and it doesn't have to be six to 12 months, It just so happens that that's very typically my timeline. With a book, it might be longer, two or three years is the ability to communicate your desired outcome clearly. That's it. And that could be a vision, but it doesn't have to be. The ability to communicate your desired outcome very clearly. People can love it or hate it. People can hate you, but they shouldn't misunderstand you. And this was good advice that I got uh, in the writing world early on. It's like, people can disagree with you. People can hate what you have to say, but they shouldn't be confused by it. So I would steer people probably. I, would, I, I oh, from actually, the word vision, actually, yeah. you know what? Let me rephrase that. I wouldn't steer people away from the word vision. It's just not how I've chosen to manage this particular aspect of my thinking and my planning. Sure. I, I do think that for many people that word has a specific meaning, but you want to be very clear on what these words mean to you. Which is also why, for instance. I want to be successful. I just want to have success. I want to be happy. These are dangerous words. Success,
1: yeah, I have to say, because when people say success, and the people who say success, success, success all the time, seem to know exactly what they mean by that. And I think it becomes a very kind of, um, what's the word,
2: oppressive force for a lot of people. Well, it can be. And uh, it's also, I, I think, that people believe they know what it means. But if you were to give them a piece of paper and say, all right, like, explain to me in one page what success is right? and what are the things you're doing in the next 6 to 12 months to get closer to that, it would be, I think, consistently erratic. Right. And these words have become so overused as to lose any real meaning. But I, I think Simon's a very smart guy, and uh, I've read his stuff so mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and taken a lot of notes on his stuff. So it's an example of where you have many different options for skinning the cat. I, I really want to know where that expression came from, too. What a horrible <laughs> image. Uh, but there are, there are different ways to play this. In my particular case, I think perhaps it comes from the obsession with language learning. Right. I really focus on the semantics and the specificity of words because the clearer my language, right. the clearer my thinking. And if my thinking is unclear, I'm going to make bad decisions. So this is the last thing I want to say before we have to wind up, but uh,
1: I want to ask, you know, so then, given that your book is Tools of Titans, that we are extrapolating kind of lessons, in a sense, from the lives of other people, Mm -hmm. how do you take the language, the idiosyncratic language that people use in their life and work, someone like Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. in his process, and then how does that become universalized, or, or, or how do you then
2: personalize that? Like, sure. Some yeah. of, uh, that's a good question. So some of the words are unambiguous. Right? So you might say when a songwriter is paralyzed, right. maybe they had a hit record ten years ago and they haven't been able to write since, I will give them a tiny homework assignment such as, can you give me one word? Or one line that you might like by tomorrow. Right? Can you do that for me? There's no ambiguity there. Right. It's very straightforward. If, however, they said, and they tend not to, by the way, the top one percent tend to be very, very clear. Hmm. They're super clear. I don't have to clarify very often with language. Gotcha. Outside of really, speci- really, really specialized scientific or medical terminology. Which is just because I'm I'm deep in the ignorance pool sometimes with that, so I want to get a definition for a lay audience. But outside of that, they tend to be very, very specific. But if they were to say, it's important to me when choosing business partners to focus first and foremost on integrity, I would would not assume I know what that means. I would ask the dumb question, which is actually the smart question in that case, which is, what do you mean by integrity? Can you give me an example of that? What is an example of someone with integrity, acting with integrity? What is an example of someone acting without integrity? And I would drill in, I don't let it go. Sense. I don't let it fly by. I, I will actually catch it. So there, is, there should be nothing in Tools of Titans that is ambiguous. I've I You've take, tried to be rigorous. I about take that. my two yeah. to three hours yeah. to make sure that I do not let those slide by.
1: Likewise hard work. That's another one I think people misunderstand a lot. Yeah, Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. That we need examples of. Tim Ferriss, it has been a lot of fun talking to you today. Thanks for playing our surprise game and for for being on the show.
2: My pleasure, thanks
1: for having me. Thanks a lot. And that wraps up another week of Think Again. We are coming precariously close to the holidays and my advice to myself and to any of you that it's useful for is to keep it simple um, and you know, enjoy and focus on the time that this affords you to spend with friends or family or both, but also not to lose sight of all the cool projects and bits and pieces that you're working on and growing uh, and that you're excited about. that you don't wake up on january 1st all dazed and confused and having to completely reorient yourself for the new year and like commit to being a completely different person that's it oh and if you get a chance please go over to itunes or podbean or stitcher wherever you're listening to the show and rate and or review us Uh, it makes a major difference in terms of who discovers the show And we'll be back next week with another really interesting conversation. And I hope that you're here too. An official message from Medicare
0: A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too.